0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at antiochchurch.org. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks. Good morning. My name is Linda Van Vorst, and I am our family pastor here at Antioch. I hope you have enjoyed this last incredible weekend of August this summer. I got to go whitewater rafting yesterday. We camped in Maupin City Park and then rafted the Lower Deschutes all day, and it was lovely. Um, For the past year and a half, Antioch has been using the church calendar as a guide to help us align our daily lives with the story of God. Since the beginning of summer, we have been in what the church calendar calls ordinary time, a period of time designed to help us consider how to follow Jesus in our ordinary day-to-day lives. It's through this lens that we have been reading the Gospel of Luke this summer. So today we will be in Luke 14. Please join me and thanks to Madel Fries for reading this passage. Before we jump in, I want you to know that before our lead pastor Pete went on sabbatical, We all received our scripture passages for the Sundays we were preaching. So I scribbled down my passage on a post-it note in the midst of whatever I was doing, and the passage started to become the background of my summer. Until a few weeks ago, when I popped into Sean's office to ask him a question about my passage, he opened his Bible, then he pulled up a spreadsheet, and as kindly as possible, told me I had written down the numbers in the wrong order. Oh vey, right? Linda, Linda, Linda. So I returned to my desk and I opened my Bible to see what the lectionary was throwing at me for today, August 28th, and quickly hollered to Sean, I don't really like this passage. <laughs> then I felt embarrassed because these are the red words in some of our Bibles, literally the words of Jesus. And as I considered my reaction, I realized that this passage isn't ridiculous because of what Jesus says. Instead, this passage is ridiculous because nobody lives this way. Nobody chooses the worst seat for themselves. I'm pretty sure this guy was not happy about his seat (laughs) at Wrigley Field. And I'm pretty sure Larry David didn't choose this seat either. And nobody invites strangers to a party. This passage feels ridiculous. But these are the words of Jesus. Today, we are looking at two short stories or parables that Jesus told. Jesus told these stories to help people imagine what the kingdom of God is like. And so, as we jump in to Luke 14, the question I invite us to consider is, What do we learn about the kingdom of God? So let's go. Join me in Luke 14 as a party is about to begin. Luke 14.1 says, One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. As we begin, guests were arriving to a Sabbath celebration. Sabbath, or Shabbat, began at sundown on Friday evening. After a long week of work, the Palestinian Jewish community was purposefully putting a pause to the events of the week to feast together, to rest, to worship, and to remember God. Shabbat was a big occasion. It was a nationwide celebration, meaning no work for anyone. And it was time for this purposeful celebration to begin again. The table was set and guests were arriving. And this Shabbat feast was the party to be at because it was being thrown by the most regarded religious person in Jerusalem, literally the lead Pharisee. The word Pharisee is loaded with assumptions for us to make, but at this point, the Pharisees were the largest and most influential religious political party in Israel, meaning, This party was a big deal. And on the guest list is Jesus, a traveling rabbi or teacher from the slums of Nazareth who was starting to attract a lot of attention throughout the land. As he arrived at this party, it quickly became apparent that the guests were watching Jesus' every move. If it were me, I don't think I'd like to be at this party If I were Jesus, I would probably have been looking for an excuse to leave. But Jesus stays. What happens next is not a part of our lectionary reading for this week, but it's too good to skip. And the things that happen at this party build on each other. So in verse 2, we learn that all the guests are arriving, and Jesus meets a man who suffers from abnormal swelling of the body. Nowadays, we would call this edema, this medical condition causes people to not be able to breathe, as well as causing painful swelling in the body. Someone with this disease would not be normally invited to a party, let alone invited to this party. And the awkwardness was even more, well, awkward, because of the Jewish cleanliness rules. Interaction with someone who was sick could also deem you unclean, requiring isolation and a complicated purification ceremony. Can you feel the tension building in the room? You might be wondering why this sick man was at the party, and I have three ideas. First, maybe this lead Pharisee was hoping to see Jesus do a miracle firsthand at his party. Now, that would be a story that would be retold for years to come. And a good party always has good entertainment, right? Or maybe this man wasn't on the guest list, but he had heard stories of Jesus healing, and he knew he needed to at least try and see Jesus and beg him for help. So he snuck in. Or, less optimistic, maybe this Pharisee was trying to set Jesus up. After, after all, we are told that Jesus was being very carefully watched. Might the party planning committee have planted this sick man at this party to see if Jesus could resist the urge to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus had done it before. In fact, just a few verses earlier, Jesus had healed a hunched-over woman on the Sabbath. Would he do it again? No matter what, it is strange that this sick man is at this party. But Jesus appears to be the epitome of a polite dinner guest because he asks the host and the people at the party, is it lawful by you to heal on the Sabbath or not? Have you ever been asked a question that leaves you speechless? I recently heard a kid ask his parent, what color is a mirror? Hmm. Or how about in the word sent? Which letter is silent, S or C? Mm hmm. Or maybe this moment is better compared to a question like this Do we have free will if everything is predestined? There are some religious questions that simply seem unanswerable. And it appears that the Pharisees are stumped because no one wants anyone to suffer the pain of an extreme illness, but it is the Sabbath. Can't Jesus wait one more day? You will notice there is no answer recorded from the Pharisees in this passage. And during their silence, Jesus healed this man. Then he quotes a few laws from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which provide exceptions for not working on the Sabbath, reminding us that Jesus cares more about people than rules. This dinner party was off to a rocky start. Imagine how you would feel if you were at this party and all of this was going on. Awkward. But pushing forward, the host clears his throat, <clears throat> and welcomes the guests to come sit down. It's, it is time for people to be seated and for the meal to begin. But Jesus stands back and he takes note of these guests as they angle their way towards the head of the table where this renowned party host will sit. And before the traditional pre-dinner prayers begin, Jesus speaks up again and begins to tell a story a parable to the guests at this dinner party. Follow with me, beginning in Luke fourteen seven. Jesus says, When somebody invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Can you imagine what it would feel like to hear Jesus tell an exaggerated but strikingly similar story to the very moment you are in? Don't you think... Everyone was whispering amongst themselves, looking down at the ground, trying not to make eye contact with Jesus. I think we can all agree that it is annoying when people fight over seats. Maybe you have kids who fight over the front seat, or maybe you've flown Southwest Airlines this summer. (laughs) Fights over seats are obnoxious. But why did Jesus care where people sat? In the Greco-Roman culture, where you sat at an important dinner party was not just something that would affect you and your self-esteem. It would have a much bigger reach of importance. Your seat would affect your entire family. Your seat at an influential party like this one was likely to determine the outcome of marriage proposals, business deals, land agreements, and other opportunities and privileges. Taking the lowest seat would have sounded like the dumbest idea with long-lasting repercussions. In fact, this would have shocked the crowd because humility was not considered a virtue in the Greco-Roman world. You might notice that the word humility closely resembles humiliation. Who would choose to act in a way that would cause you to be humiliated? Even nowadays, taking the lowest seat sounds like a bad idea. Imagine you're flying to Europe for a -a once-in-a-lifetime vacation, and by some stroke of great luck, you got upgraded to first class. Meaning, you got one of those seats that reclines into a bed. (laughs) There's a curtain to give you complete privacy, warmed blankets for your enjoyment, and a menu of food and drink options for you to choose from opting out and requesting the middle seat in the back row by the bathroom you know the seat that does not recline would make no sense choosing that seat would be the strangest logic dare I say the dumbest idea why would Jesus advise this why would Jesus tell a story about taking the worst seat why would Jesus want us to do this The book of Luke and the other three gospels are filled with accounts of Jesus' teachings and healings to help us learn how to live under the reign and rule of God. Often God's kingdom seems upside down. It feels counterintuitive. That is why many, many chapters of the Bible are filled with Jesus' teachings about living under God's reign, including these red letters these are Jesus' words recorded to help us better orient our lives in the kingdom of God. And this parable challenges the value system of our culture. The world tells us that to get ahead, we must be consumed by our own honor. We must make sure we get the best seat, even if it is at the expense of the well being of others. But Jesus is challenging this notion. What if Jesus is saying, you don't have to tirelessly promote yourself. You don't have to toot your own horn. You don't have to exaggerate your successes. You don't have to angle your way in with the influential crowd to feel good about yourself. What if Jesus is saying that this all-consuming game to be the best will actually not satisfy your deepest longing? What if Jesus is giving us permission to listen to others instead of doing the talking? To be curious about other people's successes instead of feeling threatened? To relax and enjoy a wedding instead of using the occasion to try and get ahead? What if Jesus is inviting us to celebrate someone else? to learn that you already matter and you don't have to worry about your value when you are with other people is such good news. What if Jesus is giving what if Jesus is giving us a little peek into what it will be like for all eternity and inviting us to live like that now? Jesus says, "Don't try to be the most important person. Instead, take the lower seat." This story is startling. It's jarring because people don't live this way. But Jesus is inviting us to radically reorient our lives under the reign and rule of God. And this type of living requires humility. To our students in the room, what might it look like to live with humility in middle school, in high school, and in college? To the employed in the room, what might it look like to live with humility in your workplace? To the retired in the room, what might it look like to live with humility in the midst of your retirement lifestyle? For everyone, what might it look like to live with humility in your neighborhood? What might it look like to live this way when interacting with strangers, friends, family, your spouse, your kids, And other relationships. This might seem like a good place to conclude, but Jesus is not done. Instead, Jesus plunges forward, and after telling this parable, he turns towards the host, the lead Pharisee, and addresses him directly. Read with me, starting in verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Have you ever been to a party when something happens that makes you want to crawl under the table or be able to disappear? Maybe a heated political discussion begins, gets a little too heated. Maybe someone offends another guest and the awkwardness fills the space. I suspect the guests at this party were looking for any excuse to be able to leave because things were getting weird. I imagine some arched eyebrows and some confused expressions around that table because no one in this culture would go to the trouble of planning a huge party and then pass out invitations to strangers who were poor, crippled, lame, and blind. But remember, this is a parable. Jesus told this story to help people imagine what the kingdom of God is like. So, what do we learn Again, Jesus invites us to a radical reorientation of our priorities, our values, about what is most important to us. Jesus starts by acknowledging the common quid pro quo mentality. It's a scratch my back and I'll scratch yours way of thinking. It's a reciprocal exchange where power and privilege and wealth are transferred back and forth over and over again repeatedly by the same group of people, which might sound good if you're benefiting from the system, but here we see that Jesus wants to widen the circle. In the kingdom of God, the often overlooked people, the unlikely outsiders, That people who hold little to no value in the eyes of society are welcomed and wanted. You might be thinking, sure, Jesus told a story about inviting the outcasts. But a story about a party is not a real party. And you might think you're off the hook for hosting a very awkward party. Well, you're right that Jesus told a story But Jesus also modeled this mindset over and over again throughout the course of his adult life. Jesus welcomed people who most ignored. He welcomed a woman who had been tormented by evil spirits for years. He welcomed a woman who had been divorced five times and was yet still with another man. He welcomed tax collectors who overtaxed his own family and friends. He welcomed the culturally ignored, including the slaves, the poor, and the children. He welcomed the sick, so many sick people. He also welcomed the Pharisees, his oppressors. He welcomed cultural enemies, such as the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And he even welcomed Judas, the disciple who betrayed him. So again, the same question arises. Why would we live like this? Why would we take the worst seat? Why would we throw a party then invite people who make us feel uncomfortable? Why would we live this way? Because Jesus is liberating us from the kingdom of this world and it means a radical reorientation of our lives. Instead of pursuing reciprocal friendships, Jesus is inviting us to constantly be on the lookout for the best interests of others, even if it is at the expense of our own privilege. Jesus is inviting us to serve others, not just ourselves. Jesus is inviting us to include the unlikely, the overlooked, and the underprivileged. And Jesus is inviting us to examine what lies we have bought into. What does it mean to be significant in this life? What do we think will add meaning and value to life? Will satisfaction come by making more money, acquiring more stuff, living more comfortably, taking more vacations, watching more television, pursuing luxury retirement, or being successful in the eyes of the world? These are the questions that Jesus invites you to bring to him when he tells puzzling parables like the one we're looking at today. We are invited to bring these questions before the throne of God and allow God's mercy, love, and wisdom to redefine our reality as we learn to live under his reign and rule as king. Jesus is inviting us to examine our lives. Are our values aligned with the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world? David Platt asks a good question. He says, are we settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Jesus is actually about abandoning ourselves for the well-being of others? In the last verse of our text today, Jesus gives us an extra motivator. Remember as a kid, when you were trying your hardest to get your homework done, but struggling, then your mom or dad says, hey, when you're done, let's eat some ice cream together. And it made it that much easier to stay focused and get finished. That is what I think Jesus is doing here. Jesus knows that the kingdom of God is going to take discipline. When we swim in the water of selfishness and self-promotion, it's going to be difficult to stay focused. So Jesus provides a little extra incentive. Check out verse 14. And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. On that day, which Jesus refers to as the resurrection of the righteous, we will be rewarded. We don't know when this will be, but it's a promise made by the king of kings, our rescuer, our savior, Jesus. And when we are rewarded, we will also be welcomed into the kingdom of God, a kingdom where evil and sin have been dealt with, a kingdom where there is no more sickness and no more sadness and no more death, a kingdom where all has been reconciled and redeemed, A kingdom where everything is very, very good. Where heaven joins earth and God and people are together again. Where people worship God and enjoy all creation with God. On that day, we will know it truly was better to live in humility and honor others, acting as a servant to all, as followers of Jesus. And it is at that moment when the real feast will begin. The banquet we are all longing for. And seats won't matter. And everyone will be equally important and honored. All will be known and loved and honored by the king and by each other. Does it sound too good to be true? If so, I think we're on the right track. Because the kingdom of God is such good news. And as we wait... We are invited to bring that kingdom to earth as we eagerly await the return of the king. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we live this way? Why would we take the worst seat? Why would we throw a party and invite people who make us feel uncomfortable? Why would we live this way? We live this way now as a little taste of what is yet to come. Once we realize that this parable isn't about seating charts and table arrangements, it gets exciting. At this party, Jesus told these stories to help us imagine what it looks like for Jesus to be our king. These parables help us begin to see that Jesus does a complete overhaul of our value system. Things that are very important to the world are not shared kingdom values. And Jesus invites us to pursue his ways instead. These stories aren't designed to tell you short, whimsical, entertaining stories. Instead, these parables are designed to bring you into a living encounter with the King. In the same way that he startled the party crowd, these stories are startling to us also. Jesus is inviting us to trust him and follow in his ways. And we have the choice to live this way every day. Jesus is inviting us to reorganize our lives, to value people over privilege. I don't know what this means for you, but I trust God's spirit to prompt you in your next steps. Might there be a relationship that needs to be reconciled, requiring you to give up your place of honor or higher ground? Maybe it's the way you're spending your time. Might God be redirecting your focus towards someone or something who has been overlooked and neglected? Maybe it's the way you spend your money, might God be stirring in your imagination, giving you an idea about ways to love someone you have designated as an enemy? Or maybe God is inviting you to look around and listen with curiosity. I wonder what is happening in, in your midst that needs to be reoriented by the kingdom of God. Our passage today tells us that we can echo the love of Jesus to the world, not just to the wealthy and the healthy, not just to our family and friends. The love of Jesus extends even to the margins, to the people who are overlooked and made to feel as if they are of no value. How can we reorient our lives to welcome and honor others? It's probably not surprising to you to learn that this party was the last party Jesus attended with the Pharisee crowd. He was not invited back after stealing the show and pulling these stunts. And, spoiler alert, Jesus is not done at this party. Next week, Donna Barber gets to conclude this awkward party, and it only gets better. I'm pretty sure Jesus derailed the lead Pharisee's expectation for his party, But by telling these stories, we are given a taste of God's kingdom and reminded of God's love for the whole world. This type of radical obedience to Jesus is not easy. It's not about comfort, health, wealth, or prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Jesus risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ.